this podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome to Me First Discussion Series. Today we're going to be doing episode three, which is conversations about safeguarding concerns. My name's Rashan and I'm one of your presenters today and I work with Me First on the Me First project as a young advisor. Today I have with me some of my amazing colleagues who work at GOSH in the safeguarding team. But while we're not working at GOSH, they deliver the conversations about safeguarding training for the Me First project. Welcome, lovely to have you today. Can you just tell us a little bit about your background in social care and how you kind of got on this kind of pathway? There are four of us who have taken on safeguarding concern, uh, having difficult conversations about safeguarding concerns training for social workers. We're all qualified and we've all been qualified for a number of years. And before each of us came to Great Ormond Street Hospital, we'd all had experience in local authority social work. So we've all been social workers who've done the full range of social work from supporting families under child in need, child protection, and also in care proceedings as well. So we've got a huge wealth um, of experience. Just speaking for myself, I've got nearly 30 years experience now and I've worked in community settings. So I've done young people's homelessness. I've worked in women's homelessness projects. I've worked in children's rights. And then as a statutory social worker, I've worked in the community, but I've in one of the London boroughs, but I also worked in a lo- one of the local hospitals, a general, you know, sort of district general type hospital, and also in one of the prisons in London supporting women when they were having their babies in a sort of prison setting. So quite a lot of experience. And then I've been here now for, like I said before, about eight years. And I think my colleagues who are also delivering the training have got a similar sort of variety of background and and wealth of experience. We bring lots of our own experience to the training to try and bring it alive and help people to think about some of these conversations that they may be having in their own practice. Amazing, what a breadth of experience that we have on the Me First project. Having years of experience and expertise in safeguarding, why did you choose to take the Me First role alongside your existing one? So I completed the Me First training and I found it a really, really useful training to do and really enjoyed it. And I think I really valued how interactive it was and how as a group we all learnt from each other's experiences and how practical it was in the same sense. So after completing the training, I just really enjoyed it and wanted to be part of it going forward, I guess. Yeah, similar. I also did the training. But I think for me as well, having had a bit of a children's rights background, when I came across this training being delivered in the hospital, it just felt like a a neat fit for me to be able to think about social work, but also in this hospital setting, think about how do we make sure children and young people's voices are really heard in the work that we do. And I think actually that social work is grounded in that our training is grounded in that so to come across training that was very very sort of child focused in this setting was was what sort of attracted me to it and I think also in our role Fiona and I are also delivering um, the level three safeguarding training so in the hospital the social work and the safeguarding service are responsible for supporting the hospital to make sure that everybody's trained in a certain level of safeguarding because obviously it's everybody's responsibility to safeguard children and we've looked at this course 
with other people in the department and thought about how this course can fit in with the safeguarding training. The training isn't about the most difficult conversations that you have. They're not, it's not always about safeguarding concerns, but it's just about exploring young people's and children's sort of worries, their thoughts, their feelings. And when you start to get a hunch that, you know, trying to tell you something quite difficult, helping our colleagues to think about how we have those sorts of conversations and just how we open them up, support children and young people. So it feels like a really nice fit with our job role, our training role, and then an extra bit of training that we can add on to the safeguarding mandatory training. I don't know if I've said that really clearly, actually, because everybody in the hospital has to do a mandatory number of hours training. And there's a there's a sort of set bit of course that people have to do but outside of that people have got another sort of four to six hours that they have to do every few years and there will be options and people can choose to do something around learning disability or something around domestic abuse or various other subjects and one of the subjects will be this one which is how to have difficult sensitive conversations with children and young people so it will be an option that's available to people. And I think it's really important because often we get people calling us, asking questions about, oh, somebody said this or they said that, what should we do next? And they'll ask, they'll kind of look to us to sort of go and maybe speak to the child or young person. And most of the people calling us up are, are more than able to have that conversation themselves. And I think it's just around having the confidence and, and knowing what to do and say in those situations, which is what this training really, really supports yeah. people to be able to do. Yeah. And we help people to think about those anxieties. So we help professionals to think about what is it like for a young person to be on the verge of telling you something difficult? How might that feel for them and put yourself in their shoes? But also when you get that hunch that somebody's about to tell you something, how might you be feeling? What are your anxieties and worries that that might come into play at that point that might you know you might be standing there thinking oh I don't know how I'm going to react I don't know if I've got time for this conversation and so on and we try and unpick some of those things that can sometimes get in the way or feel like they're getting in the way of having those conversations. That's amazing to hear now that the Me First Conversations about safeguarding concerns is part of a mandatory selection where people can choose it to elevate their learning. My next question is, can you tell us a little bit about the Me First Conversation about Safeguarding Concerns module? So this Me First training is really around sort of exploring different ways to have conversations around safeguarding concerns. You know, and I think we all recognise that having these conversations, it's, it's not rocket science. And we often find that people just lack that confidence in being able to do this. And this is what we hope this training really sort of boosts people's confidence and being able to, to have those conversations with children and young people. I think it's really important that, that we kind of have these conversations in the moment. So if a young person or child says something to us or we notice something, then, you know, if we're able to have that conversation um, with them there and then at that time, then I think, you know, that really is best for everybody. So we're really hoping this training really boosts everyone's confidence to be able to do this. So we look at how we look at how to have these difficult conversations. We often look at how we have conversations in our own personal life. What works for us in our personal life? What do our family and friends help us with? And then how we can kind of translate these conversations into our professional life. And, and I think we sort of also explore what the difficulties and challenges are for us in our professional life and how sometimes it can be difficult that we have sort of time pressures, we have clinic pressures, you know, what's kind of preventing us to be able to have these conversations. And so we really try and focus on that a little bit. And I think, you know, we really just aim to develop people's skills to, to sort of work through how they can have time and also work through sort of their confidence in, in being able to talk to, to people. 
I think the other thing that we do is we link back to the Me First, the other aspects of the Me First module and the Me First website because there's just a wealth of materials there to help because you know not all children and young people are the same they might have different kind of communication needs or specific things that you have to take into account so we link back to the me first website but also we've got a bit of a model that we go through as well and we we have all these sort of conversations together about our thoughts and feelings about having conversations and then we've got a bit of a model a bit of a way of sort of doing it so we've got a bit of a structure that people can go away with that they can use in the conversations that they have and ultimately it's about having a conversation and making plans with young people and making sure that they're really included in formulating those plans. And one of the things we say is sometimes we have a conversation with a young person and we don't know what we're going to do next, but we can at least say to them that we've heard them, that we've listened, that we take seriously what they've said and that we've, you know, in the hospital we've got colleagues who can help us to come up with, you know, ideas about what we'll, ne what we'll do next so that they feel included and they feel safe and it feels contained. And we have a bit of a practice as well and we put ourselves in the sort of hot seats you know people get really anxious about role plays and things but we actually we do the role play and but we take ideas from the people who are participating in the course rather than putting people in the hot seat because we know that that you know often people get anxious about that so you know we take that role on ourselves i think the key message really isn't it is we just say have a go it's important to have a go and that's really what the training's just sort of summarizing yeah Wow, completely amazing. Thank you for summarising that. So once you qualified as a social worker, what were some of the things that you learned in your practice that you didn't learn during your social work training? Um, I think what we were talking about this together the other day, actually, as a, as a group, small group of trainers and trying to think about this. And I think what we all felt was that social work is a relationship-based job. You know, it's all about communicating with people and trying to solve problems and listen to thoughts and feelings and come up with plans with families and children and young people and all the rest of it and you can't really you can I mean you can read about that and you can learn about that and you can sort of you know like in every other aspect of, of employment you can theorize about it but actually what you really need to do is develop experience of talking to people and listening to people and appreciating that you know you might come into a conversation with some thoughts and ideas about how it's going to go but actually everybody's different and the conversation can go in unexpected directions and actually you have to relax and go with that and in order to get the most out of the conversations that you have with people and I think you can't really you know you can't read a textbook about that that's something that you just learn and develop over time and you get more skilled and more confident about doing that and and you get less anxious about going with the flow I think as you become an experienced practitioner and I think we would say that in the Me First training as well. The more you have a go, actually the more confident that you get and the more you put aside some of your anxieties and worries about, oh, I'm not sure where this is going. And because actually it is okay just to go to go with the flow sort of thing. But I think one size doesn't fit all kind of thing and everybody's different and every situation is different. And yeah, just learn learn to be confident to go with it a bit, I think, is what you learn over time. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think, you know, there's, you learn that you might have all these textbooks telling you, you know, maybe A, B, C and D is the ideal way to react. But actually, the reality is people aren't going to, there's no, there's no textbook to say, somebody says this, so you need to do the next thing or they say, because you just can't predict what's going to be said. And I think it's just around, I guess you learn and, and you adapt and it is around sort of how you communicate as well. And um, I think that's one thing that's really important. Communication is really key and being as transparent as possible with families is really important and that's one thing I definitely take away. Very insightful to actually 
know that you learn a lot on the job because you're dealing with individuals and and different families and that you can never predict what is going to be said. My next question is, conversations around safeguarding concerns can be anxiety provoking for professionals. How does this training help reduce that anxiety? I mean, I think one thing I say is that it's completely natural to become anxious when having difficult conversations. I think, you know, even us as practitioners who are, I'd say, quite experienced in this, I still get anxious at some points and I don't think that ever really goes away. And I think we know that people are worried about saying the wrong thing or making things worse. And that's what this Me First training really supports us to explore a bit more. And I think, you know, we look at different ways to talk to families and also just really the importance of just having a go. You often can't make situations that much worse. And what's worse is not recognising and not exploring the concerns with a young person. Part of this training is that we do, we put ourselves in the shoes of the young people and we explore what young people have told us is helpful and also explore what young people have told us isn't helpful and that they don't want from us. And I think actually one of the main things that they say is that they just want to be heard. And that's why, you know, we really say that just having a go is, is really important. And I think Eileen mentioned earlier about sort of the framework that we have and we do use, and that can be used as a bit of a guide and structure and a tool to sort of frame some of our conversations. However, as we were also mentioning earlier, you know, there is no textbook answer. And I think, you know, just going through this training gives people the confidence a bit more to start those conversations and have a go and we kind of see where we go from there. We start with an exercise where we ask people to think about something that they've been worried about and, a, and a, maybe a conversation that they had with a friend. So remember a conversation that you recently had with a friend or a colleague, you were worried about something and you wanted to talk to somebody about it and we ask you to think about what was helpful and what was not so helpful in that situation because actually this is not rocket science because what young people tell us is helpful is actually what we experience as being helpful. It's, you know, we're all having similar conversations and so there's nothing sort of magical about having conversations with young people. They are similar to the conversations we have with each other. And obviously we put some professional framework around that and some boundaries and, you know, we don't start sharing our personal experiences with young people, but it's just sort of drawing on our own experience and what we find helpful and just making the comparisons and I think that does alleviate anxiety because people say oh yeah yeah when I'm when I've got a problem this is what I find helpful so actually maybe if I behave a bit like that with a young person when they're telling me about a worry they will find that helpful. And I think also in the training because we do do a lot of group work so we have a lot of conversations between ourselves and we go into breakout rooms and then we sort of come back but also I think just talking to everybody else on the training, people find that really helpful to talk about different situations, different people have been in. And I think to kind of really feel like you're not alone and that we do maybe all have these anxieties. However, you know, we can, you know, we can sort of move forward and we can have a go and we can talk to, to children, and young people about what is upsetting them and, and any sort of safeguarding concerns. Amazing. Thank you so much. In your extensive experience of safeguarding, do you have any examples of where things haven't gone so well? I think I want to recall an experience that took a long time actually rather than went wrong or didn't you know uh, went right or wrong or whatever but one of the things we talk about in the Me First training is this idea that vulnerable young people often build a wall around themselves and become quite guarded and quite selective about who they will speak to and who they'll trust and one of the things we talk about is how we can start to chip away in the conversations that we have over time if a young person has enough good experiences talking to professionals 
that over time they might actually we sort of chip away at the mortar and perhaps remove a brick or two so that gradually people young people might feel sort of that they can trust to tell somebody something and I worked with a young person a good few years ago now who for a long time everybody had a hunch that things weren't right that she wasn't having a good experience in the home that she was living in at the time she was living with a family member but she never disclosed anything but people just found ways to keep talking to her and letting her know that if she had any worries or any concerns that she could tell them and they would be you know they would try to be helpful and eventually she did ask to speak to myself and we did have a conversation and she did share her concerns but the important thing about that is I was the last person in a probably a long line of people who'd found ways to demonstrate to this young person that she was in a safe place and that professionals would act appropriately and and when she when she did tell me something that was of concern I used the model actually I really thought about the final stage in our model which is where we do some planning with young people so I was able to say to her you know you've told me something that's quite concerning and I'm thinking that you're telling me this because you'd like me to do something about it but I know I think it's taken you a long time to tell me and so what can I do today to make a plan with you um, make sure that you're safe but also reassures you that things aren't going to sort of go out of your control and we made a plan together and we agreed it together and she was moved to a different place that day and she was safe and so on but I think the points for me are about you know don't think that first person who gets an inkling of something has to be the person who gets a disclosure that's not the most important thing the most important thing is that a young person experiences you as somebody that they can talk to and they might not feel like they can do it today but they might do it tomorrow or next week or next month have to give that in our role we can all chip away and hopefully create a safe space for young people I think like what you just described you actually that young person the more people that spoke to her she may not have said that she, she wasn't ready to talk about it at that point in time but she knew that people cared and people were interested and they were noticing and that's kind of I think the key thing that's opening that door up for the next person to potentially have that conversation and vice versa so yeah I think that's yeah. a really good example I mean I've I guess we've all worked with a variety of, of children young people you know I have had um, I had one family when I was here at the hospital we had a young person sort of some concerns didn't really want to sort of go ahead with the treatment and every time she came in, she would pretend to be asleep. <laughs> so every time I went to see her, she'd pretend to be asleep. And it was, it was quite obvious she wasn't asleep. But I would just sit there and I would just say, well, this is why I'm here. And I'd give her a bit of time. And I went back a, the next time she was in and did the very same thing. And eventually, eventually she did, you know, she did kind of speak to me and open up. And we had a had quite a good conversation. But I think kind of what you spoke about as well, Eileen, about having that shared plan. I mean, I did have to, you know, I was making a further referral to the local authority and that wasn't what this young person wanted. But, you know, we were able to have a conversation about the reasons why I was doing it. And she understood that while it wasn't within her wishes, it wasn't what she wanted. She understood my reasons why and why we had to do this. And I mm. think that's what's also really important. They don't, the outcome might not always be what that child or young person, you know, feels is right for them at that point in time. Mm. But if we have that conversation with them and explain the reasons why as we did with the parents as well you know just that transparency really helps and supports the next people that when you know the local authority social workers who then went to see her it kind of created that open and trusting I think transparent atmosphere but I think young people may often be ambivalent about what they want mm. to do about something because they may have a worry 
and they may want to tell somebody and they may want somebody to do a, something about it but actually they may also be worried about the consequences of that for themselves and for other people in their families and so on and so often we are working with young people who you know will will feel quite torn will feel like I want to tell somebody and I want something to change but I am worried about what that's going to look like and so we often when we're having conversations with young people trying to reassure them and work with them and you know especially with young people as they're getting older as well they really mm -hmm. have to have some control and some say and you know more and more you know we have to respect young people's you know right to make decisions for themselves and so on yeah. what would be some of your top tips to opening up safeguarding conversations with young people and children top tip that is a bit of a tricky one but i think really is to build a rapport actually notice them i know we're all busy doing things but ask them how they are you know what are their interests you know notice maybe if they've got something with them that looks like they're interested in a certain activity just really sort of build that rapport and have that sort of you know chit chat with them and make the time to do that and then they're going to you know much more you know the more you do that the more they're going to open up to you and feel sort of comfortable i mean i don't know what you think Irene. yeah no i'd agree with that but i also think we have to think about children and young people's age and their stage of development you know children young people they're all they're all different they might have communication you know specific communication methods that they use one of the things i do particularly if i'm working with children with learning difficulties is is go and visit their school i mean obviously that's a luxury of time when we're doing some planning around some treatments and things but you go to a school and learn how teachers and and the peer group talk to and communicate with children and then we can replicate that in the hospital environment and in our communication with young people and that's really good because we're using methods that are familiar to them but also we're creating a bit of familiarity across different environments so it means then that home might be a bit similar to school might be a bit similar to hospital and we're just creating a comfortable and familiar environment yeah I think that's really important I also think as well naming it if you see something or someone says something then just name it with that young person they know we all have responsibilities in our roles they may have you know given you a bit of nugget of information knowing that you're going to ask more about that if you're worried about them tell them I think it's they do they half expect it as well and I think sometimes when we try and really go around the houses with it you know that's kind of you can lose them a bit there I think just being quite upfront in some ways as well that's yeah that could be really really useful I think in the training there's it's either one of the quotes or one of the tips is exactly that isn't it it's, it's if you notice something name it you're not going to make it worse it's much better to have noticed and shown that you've that you care and you're very unlikely to get it wrong thank you some amazing insight and understanding someone's developmental level is really important and also something we talk about in the fundamentals our last and final question is what is your favorite thing about working with children and young people I think I just say that every day is different. I like the unpredictability. I like that you don't know what you're always going to get. You know, I, I like how, you know, you can have real conversations and, you know, young people and children's enthusiasm for life is just, it kind of re-enthusiasm, like makes me more enthusiastic about things. Yeah, you just never know what you're going to get, which is what I really enjoy. Yeah, I agree. I really like sort of, you know, a bit of play and a bit of drawing with young people and children. I think it can be really helpful as well so sometimes sitting there having a face-to-face -face conversation might feel a bit confrontational for a child or a young person particularly if they've got a worry or something but if you get a if you get some pens and paper and do some drawing and coloring and have a bit of fun then I think you create a nice relaxed atmosphere where children and young people are more likely to speak to you but also at the moment I've got a new book 
that's teaching me to draw animals and young people absolutely love it and I love learning how to draw walruses and uh, you're learning together. I'm learning to draw a walrus. <laughs> I'd like to say a massive thank you to Fiona and Eileen. You guys have been amazing today and your last little tip about actually it's the young people that keep you enthusiastic about your role but also the ability to bring your own personalities and what you're interested to your job which actually makes it a little bit even more fun is immensely amazing i'd like to just say a massive thank you again but also but also to the learning academy and gosh pods for featuring the me first series thank you all for tuning in our next series is all about transition and that will be our last and final one hopefully talking about the launch which is happening about transition